How we doing, folks? Welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is educating about and working towards a true people's liberation movement and a true proletarian revolution one day, hopefully. But until we get there, I am your host of this show, Josh, and thanks for stopping by. Um, In this episode, I have Victor Coronado coming from Anticonquista and from uh, Nuestra America, uh, two fantastic shows. Uh, Victor is a homie, he's super cool, super intelligent, and I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity to record two episodes with him now, so if you're listening to this one, just know that there is a part one that you can check out, Um, and this one coming up is technically part two. Um, So yeah, without further ado, we're going to tune right into that, and yeah, again, thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Um, alrighty. So I just wanted to ask you, um, due to increasing inequality all over the world, there are protests, demonstrations, strikes, walkouts happening all over and being completely misunderstood and misinterpreted in some cases. But at the underlying inequality issue, how can we kind of analyze these uh, contradictions coming to the forefront? What can we really make of this? Yeah, well, <clears throat> a couple things. So one, it tells you that the entire, you know, capitalist system is is in crises. And in fact, if you if you pay attention to some of the stuff that comes out of the World Economic Forum, <clears throat> even the capitalists know this. Um, not because they and and you know not because they actually care about income inequality. Um, you know, they sort of pretend that they do, um, but it's really more of a, um, a self-serving, you know, their uh, thing going on. They're, they're more, they're, they're interested about uh, keeping a certain amount of, um, um, you know, stability, right? Because what they don't want is to, they don't want us figuring out that uh, they just keep stealing more and more and more of the world's, uh, um, you know, wealth. Um, and, and there's more, there's, uh, this accelerated concentration of wealth, um, and and you know these <clears throat> these you know, super capitalist nations are just exploiting um, you know places like Africa and Latin America and the Asian world. So so they they pay a lot of lip service to this stuff again, not because they actually care about it, but because they they care more about preserving those systems. And so they they may um, offer some reforms as suggestions as to what to do about the situation. But um, <clears throat> what's interesting is that you're seeing, you know, you know, populist leaders um, get propped up in certain places. So sometimes even um, like, let's just say here in the United States, <clears throat> there are some that there's some, there's some segments of the working <clears throat> class that looked at Tr- Donald Trump as some sort of populist um nationalist hero that really um, really cared about their you know um, their interest right and that he was there to to protect their interests and um, and, and would work and you know toward towards finding solutions to um, you know to help the working class and we, we obviously know that's bullshit but it's it's 
it's something that <coughs> excuse me i'm still dealing with this <coughs> with this cough um so you know you had a populist um leader you know say whatever you want to say he did he did say certain things that resonated with certain you know elements of um just to be very particular white working class um and and you know a lot of people fell fell into that but um you know as far as <clears throat> you know working class folks you know and poor folks all over the world um we just have to keep paying attention to what's happening um and these contradictions will will, will lend itself to you know to progressive movements and revolutionary movements you know, all over the place. So again, you point to places, you, if you look at places like Latin, Latin America, um, you know, over the last 20 years or so, you know, we've taken it on the chin a few times um, and we just keep coming back. We being, again, progressive and revolutionary forces in, in Latin America. So there's a progressive arc there. There's a move towards the left in Latin America. And it's only been these <clears throat> leftist movements, which by the way, they're not even, you know, you can't even say that they're, you know, you know, some, you know, they're, they're, it's not, you didn't have, you know, you're not having another Cuba situation in any of these places. But that being said, when, when Lula was in power, um, when Evo was in power, um, um, in Ecuador, Rafael Correa, uh, when he was in power, um, you know, so on and so forth, you're seeing in Nicaragua with the Sandinistas being back in power. You saw, you know, the the Chavistas, right, in, in Venezuela initially, you know, they were able to put a dent in that income inequality gap. And you saw, you know, millions of people lifted out of poverty um, through very basic reforms. They weren't even, again, they weren't even, you know, you can't even call them revolutionary. They were just very basic reforms. Um, so... Again, to go back to your to your question again, what do we make of all this? Um, you know, we need to keep paying attention to what's happening, and we need to take advantage of these contradictions wherever we can. Um, and so, I hope again, I hope I answered your question, but that's that that would be my response to that question. My friend, I would just like to say, just real quick, you always do a great job of answering my question. At the end, you're always like, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, I just, you know, um, <laughs> you know, because I, 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 so I appreciate you providing this platform um, and uh, for, for me, but, you know, um, you know, I try to be humble about it a lot because I, again, I, you know, and I, we had a podcast earlier today over at Canty Conquista. We're doing them every week now. We're doing our Nuestra America um, uh, weekly news roundup. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, I don't pose myself and none of the guys over, you know, none of the compañeros over at Anticonquista, none of us pose, we're not posing ourselves as to be some sort of prophets or, or experts in anything. You know, we're, we're just like a lot of other folks who are trying to analyze this stuff and try to interpret this stuff and hopefully provide some, um, some value from a revolutionary perspective. So, you know, I guess that's where my, my hesitation and my doubts, um, you know, kind of creep in a little bit. Um, I can completely understand that, my friend. I just wanted you to know that, you know, I appreciate your humility and you always, you know, do a great job of covering things in, in a way that gives people great context. Um, so I just wanted to make a comment on that. And also, Absolutely. folks, folks should go check out your show, Nuestra America. It's once a week um, and, you know, it's great, great coverage of, 
you know, all things Latin America and everybody on the show is incredibly intelligent, just like yourself. So folks should go check that out. Um, But you make a really good point that a lot of, you know, folks want to call it the pink tide or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of national liberation movements for, you know, since the early 1900s have truly been led by, like you say, like populist forces. Um, And, you know, a lot of folks can say, well, and and a lot of white folks like to say, well, so-and-so isn't socialist enough or so-and-so, you know, did these things wrong without understanding that these are colonized people who are fighting and struggling against, you know, for example, here in the United States with indigenous people fighting for land back and trying to, you know, cultivate their own, you know, societies, their own sovereign nations within this colonial project, it's very difficult to do so when you have nukes pointed right down your throat. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, a lot of what's being said about like Pedro Castillo is like, oh, he came out and said he's not a communist. And it's like, no, read the subheading. He's saying, hey, United States, please don't assassinate me. Right. Um, yeah. And people need to stop, you know, overanalyzing and being so incredibly like, backwards in their thinking not recognizing the material conditions that exist and ultimately you know i think here in the united states and in a lot of western countries the way that we teach things uh because of you know the power dynamic um you have a group who is in charge of the education who is in charge of the laws who's in charge of the government who's saying this is what is correct anything outside of this box is incorrect. So then people who, you know, develop out of maybe believing most of the propaganda still keep that very rigid and very narrow mentality when analyzing things. And we, we are incapable of seeing the whole picture of many struggles throughout, you know, Latin America, throughout Africa, throughout Asia. And sure, I think, you know, history gives us opportunities to say, well, here's where things went wrong for, you know, this group of revolutionaries, or here's what mistakes, you know, this government made. But to do anything more than to learn those lessons is ultimately people trying to come off as more correct. And you're more correct than a group of people who was able to build popular power, able to organize a revolutionary movement, able to sustain themselves against Western imperialism? I don't think so. Um, And you see that, you know, going on right now, especially in, you know, places like Haiti, for one, but especially what's really been getting covered is what's going on in Cuba um, and how the, you know, people in in the united states and all over the world are truly not seeing the 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 whole picture here not understanding anything that's going on they see you know protests and they they get their writers article or they get their you know washington post or miami herald um or even get this you know left voice Mm -hmm. they posted two articles. One was an article, I can't remember what either one of them were titled, but I went through and read one of them. One of them was from the perspective of, I think it used the term uh, one party regime. 
in the title. So mm-hmm. that tells you where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And then they posted another article in defense of the revolution. And like, I know Trotskyists always love to pretend like they're center, but that is to any extent feeding, you know, coals onto the flame, which is burning and burning and ultimately trying to consume places like Cuba. So I would like you, my friend, because, you know, you have talked about Cuba extensively in other episodes <clears throat> of your show and you know you ha- you have your show uh, Sons of Fidel mm-hmm. so um, I'd love to hear your perspective of what's going on in Cuba right now yeah so just uh, let me go back to your uh, point though about because I think it's an excellent point I'm going to go for, and then I'll transition to Cuba but the, this 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 uh, um, your point about you know these <clears throat> You know, communists or socialists or leftists, uh, whatever, you, however you want to describe these folks, progressive folks who want to apply these purity tests to, um, you know, these certain standards to these gold standards of what a revolution should look like um, in in places like Latin America. It's a very it's a very pompous and arrogant um, attitude to have. It's a very from. from it, if you're in the West, you know, and you're looking and you're looking down to uh, over to Latin America and you're and you're saying, well, I would have done this or that. It's a very intellectually elite perspective coming from the West. Um, it, you know, it, it's this idea that you you at home as some Western armchair revolutionary um, would do a better job of leading these movements is totally absurd. And people need to stop fucking doing that. It's disrespectful. Um and, and what is what, what what are you seeing in Latin America? You're basically seeing Marxism apply to the conditions that exist at the moment. Um, Fidel Castro would, would go and, and there's a reason why Fidel Castro uh, supported uh, Salvador Allende. There's a reason why uh, Fidel Castro supported uh, the Sandinistas in, in Nicaragua. Um, you know, there's a reason why um, the Cubans support support the Chavistas in in Venezuela, even though you still, yeah, they haven't liquidated the bourgeoisie in in uh, in um, in Venezuela or even in Nicaragua um, or back then, in, you know, in Salvador. You know, there, there's a reason he he would often, you know, go read his speeches. He would say, "Look, our revol- your revolution is going to look different than ours. It's not going to be the same." You know, we did it. You know, we had a civil war. We picked up the gun. You know, you may or may not do that. You know, your your revolution is just going to look different. It's going to be different. All right. Um, and so as long as we're moving the needle, um, you know, more and more towards the left, um, we need to support and respect those popular resistance movements that, that you see in Latin America and understand that they're going to have their own idiosyncrasies and own characteristics, and they're going to be different and, and, and they're not going to conform to your bullshit Western standards of what, you know, communist revolutionary communist standards of what of revolution it's it's ridiculous people need to stop doing that it's 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 extremely disrespectful um and if you want to be in solidarity with these people you should um you should allow those organic popular movements to run run their course and and respect the sovereignty of these people um and allow these people to be self-determined and be self-governed um and yes you know we could remain critical um but be careful with that. Be extremely careful with that. All right. Um, because again, it's, it's just very disrespectful. So I, I'm glad that you pointed that out. Um, some Might people... I add also real quick, not yeah. to interrupt you, my apologies. 
Um, <clears throat> two things just real quick. A, if you don't like where they're at right now, wait 10 years. Um, you wouldn't have liked Fidel Castro in 1959, but in 1961, you might have had a different opinion. Right. Um, two, uh, you have to understand, as you've said, uh, these countries are self-determining. This is a progression. You cannot expect, in the same way that we can't expect to go from capitalism straight up to communism, we can't expect these countries which have been under colonial mm -hmm. oppression for hundreds of years to just oh, we have a communist in power now. Oh, we're socialists. That, that's not how these things work. But yeah, continue your uh, your point, my friend. Well, so no, that, I finished my point on, on that. And then let's go back to Cuba. What was, the, what was the original question, if you don't mind, on Cuba? So basically just the fact that like, you know, because of the way that we are taught and the way we learn things, we have a very rigid view and right. we're incapable of seeing context. Um, well, so like kind of, how, how what's the perspective? My apologies. I'm sorry. What's what's like the perspective that um you know you as someone who knows how to, you know, not get that bullshit one-sided propagandized view? I just wanted to hear you know yeah. give you yeah yeah. So we talked about it today on the on the program a little bit. Um, I think we even talked about it last week. But <clears throat> I think you know, and, I, and forgive me, I'm not sure if it was President um, Miguel Diaz Canen who said that there's this new. <clears throat> You know, someone described it in Cuba as this third way, this quote unquote third way nuanced position um, on looking at the situation, you know, and what's happening in Cuba, which is very well. And it's euphemism. It's a euphemism. It's a, it's a euphemistic. It's it's folks basically say <coughs> who want to have it both ways, who say, yeah, yeah, let's end the blockade. Sure, I get you on that point. But however, the Cuban, you know, the Cuban um you know, government is authoritarian and they are repressive and, you know, basically taking, you know, parroting what the what the State Department um, is is saying and, and what the U.S. empire has been saying all these all these years. You know, you can't come on, man. Just stop that. You know, if, if you thoroughly I get it. I really get it. If you're ignorant in terms of the true definition of the word, like you don't know enough about the Cuban revolution, then you may want to just sit sit back and. Um, and and um, do do a little bit of, of investigation and, and research, right? I, and 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 not take a position. But if you have studied this stuff, you're either complicit with this bullshit with the state, you know, again parroting what the State Department is saying and what the Empire is saying, or or you're just being disingenuous and you're lying, okay? Because I, I mean. It's 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 almost like I'm in the twilight zone that I have to, you know, I have to sort of, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I'm in the twilight zone when we have to defend Cuba, um, you know, against the left from a left position. It's a, it's insane because if you study, if you study the Cuban revolution, that's not to say, let's be clear, that's not to say that there's a paradise that exists in Cuba that doesn't that ex doesn't exist anywhere else. That's we're not saying that. OK. We're not saying that the Cuban revolution has not made mistakes because Fidel Castro, by his own admission, and the, the revolutionaries in Cuba, by their own admission, will admit that they've made mistakes and they're always trying to, quote unquote, perfect their socialism, right? Um, and they, they use that term in, in Cuba. They're trying to perfect their socialism. Um, you know, but my God, I mean, from, you know, all the, 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 
the programs that they've created. I mean, we, I mean, it's crazy. Okay, let, let's go through this. So the first year of the Cuban Revolution was the year of education. Why? Because over half the country couldn't read and write. All right. Cuba before 1959, right, was considered the whorehouse of the Caribbean. This is where American gangsters would go and, and open up casinos. People like Meyer Lansky. Go look this up. Go YouTube Meyer Lansky Cuba hotels. And you're going to see his daughter on this little YouTube clip in this in this interview asking for retribution because her father, her gangster father, literally a gangster, Meyer Lansky, uh, people should recognize the name, right, um, owns seven hotels or something like that in Cuba. And here's, here's his uh, privileged, entitled daughter talking about she wants rep retribution from the revolution. Get the fuck out of here. You know, this is where American gringo um, politicians would go, a c congressman would go to Cuba to devise schemes on how to rape Cuba's economy. And they would fuck prostitutes and they would drink, you know, go out there to get drunk and gamble and, you know, and get involved in all types of shit, right? This is where, where white landowners owned, you know, in Cuba, right? In Cuba, white Cubans owned tons of land, right? And looked at, 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 at Afro-Cubans as, as second-class citizens, right? So, you, so the first year of the revolution, you know, you had the year of education where they, they made sure that everyone was going to read and, and, and was going to be able to learn how to read and write uh, at, a, at a basic, you know, eighth grade level. And they were able to accomplish that. They had agrarian reform. Um, you know, Fidel Castro kicked out all the fucking gangsters. The gangsters tried to negotiate with Fidel. Fidel was like, no, we're not. Cuba's not for sale. Right. They nationalized a whole bunch of American companies. And that's, you know, you had this whole tit for tat between us, you know, and, you know, us, the U.S. Or I shouldn't say us, but the U.S. empire and Cuba. Um, you know, go study this history. Go look at, all. you know. So now that's like the beginning of the revolution. Right. Later on, I mean, you know, Fidel Castro sends troops all over all over Africa. You know, national liberation struggles in in Africa. You know, the the, the one that that you know people always highlight. You know, um, is when he sent troops to Angola when he himself was. Uh, you know, I, I laugh because he he was in Cuba. Um, um, you know, uh, commanding troops from Cuba in Angola, right? Um, and many Cubans lost their lives. And it was you know, it, you know, the, the South African apartheid regime was, um, uh, you know, was was. Um, attacking, um, you know, um, and basically invading Angola, and 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 the Cubans, you know, went to, there to support, and were, they were always on the side of a, the of of the ANC and Nelson Mandela. Meanwhile, the United States Empire had labeled the ANC and Nelson Mandela terrorists, right? And it was only it was only until way after, like even after Nelson Mandela came out of prison, was when it was politically expedient for the for the United States Empire to say, okay, yeah, he's a hero now, right? Oh, oh now he's a hero. You know, for years you you undermined him and, and you supported the South African apartheid regime. Um, so there's that example. You know, there's um, you know, the Black Liberation Army and the Black Panthers. You know, how many people received you know political asylum over there? Sada Shakur is still over there. You know, I'm from Jersey. I always mention you know how we see the on on 287. You know, the Highway 287. You see the FBI billboards. You know, still you know um, you know. Um, uh, you know, still still up there on 287 saying, hey, if you'd have any information on Joanne Chesimar, you know, a.k.a. Asada Shakur, you know, provided to us because she's one of the FBI's most wanted. I mean, so, again, it, it's it's just unbelievable to me, given Cuba's record, um, his, the, what we know to be true, and that's on, on record, and they're still doing it to this day. They're still creating revolution. Um, 
against all odds, right? Against the against the most powerful empire that man has ever created. And what what did they get back in 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 return from the United States Empire? You know, over 600 attempted CIA assassination attempts on uh, on Fidel Castro's life, an economic war right from the beginning. Um, that that it's is if you look at State Department records, you know, um, you know, dating back to 1960, the intended goal of the blockade of the embargo blockade is to stifle, um, you know, the, the Cubans and to starve the Cubans to foment essentially to essentially foment civil war and upheaval and, and, and destabilize the, the country. That's the intended goal of the, of the, of the, of the embargo. All right. Um, we send tens of millions of dollars, um, to opposition groups over there. We, we, we've been, we've never stopped doing that, which is a, an attack. It's that's a, that's an act of war. Um, that's, you know, to undermine their, their, their sovereignty and their right to be self-determined, you know, just think about that again, if you're an American, think about that. Imagine if Cuba were sending money every single year, you know, to opposition groups in the United States to try to overthrow the U S government. I mean, that's what we do. So, I mean, it's, it incenses me, you know, I'm sorry that I get so, you know, riled up about this, but it's just, you know, it's crazy to me how leftists or progressives or revolutionaries or whatever it is that however they, they, these folks define de themselves could use this nuanced third way of looking at Cuba. Stop the bullshit. If you really care about Cubans and if you really care about revolution, then you will have a single position, a singular position, which is that Cuba is a sovereign nation. They should be left alone, all right? That the embargo should be lifted. The sanctions should be lifted. The Helms-Burton Act should be overturned. Um, and that we need to stop funding CIA operations and NED and USAID operations in Cuba to try to foment civil war, that we need to stop attacking this little, small, tiny, defenseless island. That should be the position, period, point blank, period. None of this, oh, well, we can be, crit you know, it's not even critical because people are, are being, it's, it's, it's a night, it's, again, they're, they're parroting State Department talking points and then saying, yeah, but yeah, I get the embargo and sort of being dismissive of the embargo, like we're going to just forget about, and it's not just the embargo. It's again, the USAID um, uh, programs, the NED programs, the CIA operations that, that we know ha still have to be in play. Um, so yeah, I, it's just that it, it, this, this third way, this nuanced third way nonsense um, is bullshit. And uh, it's, it's, it, it needs to be, it needs to be condemned categorically. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you, the thing that really gets me and you kind of hit on it right there is like, it's not a critical analysis. Like you're not looking at the material conditions and coming to new conclusions. You're, as you said, parroting literal U.S. propaganda talking points. And like the crazy thing to me, and I, I had a meme for it, but I think I deleted it at one point for whatever reason, but it was just like, that moment when you get to decide which U.S. propaganda to believe and which to deny. And it's like, what game are you trying to play here? Because unfortunately, you know, I'm so sorry that you folks don't get to have, you know, your own opinion on everything anymore. But unfortunately, there's two sides to this story. There is the United States propaganda and active military you know uh attacks because like you said these are acts of war um 
starving, trying to starve Cubans so as to cause political unrest. That is an act of war by any definition. Um, that is one side of supporting that, that that's the, the side that you want to see succeed. The other is the defeat of that, which is the Cuban revolution uh, continuing, the Cuban people self-determining, the embargo being lifted, everything to do with the United States being involved in Cuba, being you know put to an end. And there's only those two sides, because guess what? Whatever your third side is, can you do anything to implement it? No. Well, then probably no one gives a shit about what your opinion is. Right. Um, you know, without power, everything is bullshit. So I, I, I don't, you know, I'm with you. Like, <clears throat> unfortunately, I have not been able to curate um, great, uh, <laughs> not 100% like great Facebook friends, apparently. So I've been like having to go through and delete a bunch of fucking morons <laughs> that, um, but I mean, hey, they're letting me know where they are like the motherfuckers who are still flying the trump flags but anyways yeah no what's going on in cuba is incredibly important because it shows us that you know the process of self-determination is not not an easy one and it's one that has direct opposition and any form of denying the fact that the united states and its practices within cuba and outside of cuba in order to destroy the cuban revolution is wholeheartedly to blame for the issues, any inequality, and any scarcities that exist within Cuba. When you can only produce, distribute, and trade with yourself as a very small island um, in a global world market under the threat of military occupation, it makes it pretty difficult to, you know, give everybody in the, you know, the country everything that they need. The United States has absolutely no, um, you know, holds on any of their accounts other the fa- other than the fact that, you know, they got to make sure that they account for all the politicians' incomes. Um, they, and they can't provide for the people. So obviously it, it has less to do with the fact that there's some, you know, awful authoritarian regime that is, you know, existing in Cuba, which is just a bold-faced bullshit you know, CIA operative, you know, lie, it has to do with the fact that the Western capitalist powers have their feet on the neck of every self-determining project from Latin America to the Caribbean, to Asia, to Africa, to anywhere where people are trying to be able to build something different for themselves. And that's, you know, that's what's really incredible to me is like, you know, on the national question, uh, all these, you know, fantastic writings that came out of places like the USSR is an example of even some of the most revolutionary folks having to go around and say, hey, no, actually, people should be allowed to determine for themselves, you know, kind of their nationhood, how to determine that nationhood how to take care of themselves. And still today, you know, we have to explain that to Western leftists. But what is most incredible is that nowhere in that picture is anybody taking the moment to say, wait, nobody had to explain it to them in Cuba. 
and they they're doing it. So why are we fucking sitting around arguing with each other as if this isn't actively going on right now? How about we get our, you know, our notepad and our pen and start taking notes? Like that would be the proper way. That would be the critical analysis right, right. there is actually critically analyzing the situation. Um, but it it is um, something that I think a lot of Western leftists, for whatever reason, think that tomorrow, uh, A, the revolution is going to pop off and B, they're going to be leading it. And I think, you know, Cuba is an example where we see how much work really needs to be done, uh, you know, here in the United States with the so-called left. Um, and that's why I'm always glad to have you and other people on to be able to talk about these things, because it's incredible what little actual conversation is had. You know, I had somebody, I had a friend point out to me today. Um, he was like, you need to get offline um, because the conversations we have are so shallow. We go into places where we have um, similar opinions to people and then we just, you know, double down on those without like we were talking about earlier without any critical like outside of the box thinking um and what's happening in cuba is just one example of people saying listen we don't need to sit around and argue about it like a bunch of you know elitists how about if we want to see things change let's get down and start trying to change them and i think you know that's one thing the western left really needs to start learning is how to get down and start trying to change things. Um, I appreciate you going into a bit about Cuba because like, I don't know. It, it is ridiculous that we have to sit around and explain this to people. It really is. Um, it's also very opportunistic. I mean, so, so hmm. because Cuba's right. When was the last time we were all talking about Cuba like this? It's been, it's been a while, right? I mean, it's been a while since, you know, you know, um, you know, since Cuba's become a, a, a thing, if you if you will. So so, you know, I, I guess in my lifetime, and I'm trying to think it might be it might be the Elian Gonzalez thing. I mean, I'm that old. So so I'm 41. So last time I remember, you know, Cuba being a big thing in the news, you know, I guess, you know, maybe. OK, I guess other other events would be, you know, when Fidel Castro died, um, you know, when for when Fidel Castro ceded power, um you know, I guess these are other events where, you know, we were where many people were talking about Cuba. But on this level, I think really um, probably in my lifetime, I, I may, may have to go back to Alien. And but anyway, so it's a very it's very opportunistic to, for folks to all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden. And not to say that they haven't been doing it, but it's um, it's interesting how all these voices are getting a platform and people are now you know, um, you know, showing really their, 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 their arrogance and their elitism on, on, on this subject. And it's, it's just, it's extremely opportunistic, you know, Cuba, if, if we don't defend Cuba, um, it's really an, an attack on all of us, even you third way nuanced quote unquote motherfuckers. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's truly an attack on all of us. Um, and, you know, you you mentioned you mentioned a few things there. You know, cute, um, you know about the the embargo and the difficulties with that, which people want. 
I, I just don't understand how. I mean, that's just one part of it. But we can't be dismissed. That is the story. That is the problem. The 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 war waged against Cuba, this tiny island, right? That can again, I will repeat it. It's a defenseless island of eleven million people that can't. You know, we're talking about the most powerful empire man has ever created, which is a right. You know, I said recently in, in a Facebook post. You know, I just had to say it's a rogue. We're a rogue state. We're a genocidal terrorist state. It, we we are. Let's call it. That, that that's that's what we that's what we do. If you study the empire and you study the, what we've done in 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 you know anywhere in Latin America and in, in Vietnam, Laos, and so on and so forth. I mean, we don't have um, to put it to put it very lightly, um, very politely. We don't have a good human rights record. So the, the hypocrisy of you know people you know in the West talking about human rights in Cuba and, and whatnot, considering what this country has done, what this empire has done to the Cuban people. Is incredible, you know. Fidel Castro said because of the embargo, because of the blockade, you know, we lack access to to markets, technology, and capital. And what is it that the Cubans need? They need access to markets, technology, and capital. Um, you know, so it's just I'm I'm glad, you know, I'm glad in a way that this situation did happen because it is exposing a lot of um, well, it's exposing the United States once again. Um, you know, Cuban the Cubans are accusing the United States. Um, empire of, of being behind the protests uh, last week on July 11th. And, you know, we, we over anti-conquista, we had to jump on a second time because as this was happening, you know, I, I hit up the compañeros and I said, look, I, who, you know, who can you jump back on? I mean, do you, are you guys seeing what's happening? This is, you know, they're, they're being attacked. Like this is, this is clear and obvious, you know, it was just too much of a coincidence. Nothing is coincidence. Right. So when you have these quote unquote organic, organic protests popping off in Cuba with this SOS campaign on Twitter with all these American politicians and all these Western media outlets all at the same time. Oh, oh and by the way, oh, and Cubans in Miami out in the streets, pro, quote unquote, protesting. This was not, it was obvious. It was not an organic, spontaneous thing, phenomena that happened. This was well-organized. It was well-orchestrated. At the time, we didn't have too many details, but the Cubans are saying that there's a company based in Florida. I believe it's called Pro Proactivo, uh, Proactivo something. Uh, I forget the name escapes me right now. But the foreign minister of Cuba gave a two-hour <coughs> presentation saying this campaign started in, in Miami, and it didn't start on J July 11th. It started, um, I believe, a month or so ago, um, and they didn't get any traction. It was right before the UN vote. They didn't really get any traction, but uh, he he pretty much gave this whole presentation and, and showed how this was really orchestrated out of um, out of Miami with the help of USAID, with the help with the use the help of, of the State Department, and <coughs> you had all these phantom Twitter um, profiles um, and these bots, you know, pumping out you know five tweets a second. Um, so you had AI involved, artificial intelligence involved. And, you know, the Cubans, by the way, by, you know, Cubans have a long history of, of putting out really good, you know, when they make these claims on an international scale like this, like they don't fuck around. They got, they got excellent intelligence. Um, Cuban, Cubans, the Cubans have some of the best intelligence in the world. So you can, you can pretty much take that to the bank. Um, you know, whatever it is that, um, that, you know, that they're, that they're claiming, um, 
and all this, you know, you, you Mint Press did a really good uh, piece on it. You could go check it out on mintpress.com. Um, but if you go to Cuba Debate, if you speak Spanish, if you if you uh, understand Spanish, um, the foreign minister, um, um, uh, Bruno Rodriguez, he he gave a two hour I believe it was two hour presentation along with questions at the end by by the international press. Um, you know, were were provided in that presentation, so you can go check that out. But yeah, th this 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 was an attack on the sovereignty of Cuba. It's not probably going to stop anytime soon. Um, but you know, it, it, I, I, I was I was happy to see that while you, you know, regardless of the fact that you have all these, you know, we call you know the gusanos, the Cuban, the Cuban folks, the Cuban mafia in Jersey and in Miami and whatnot, and these these you know snake ass motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, besides that, you, you know, they have, you know, they're they're besides the fact that you have those folks, you know, waging their little campaign and doing what whatever they, it is that they're doing, um, you know, and and, and you know, regardless of the fact that you got these third wave motherfuckers now coming out talking about uh, this nuanced position or whatever in Cuba, you did. I did see. I was happy to see that there are a lot of people still, you know, defending the Cuban Revolution, and and I think more than ever, really, I, in in um, in my lifetime, which is which is good to see, which is really good to see, and I, I hope you know people like me and you played a small role in that, um, you know. Um, I said this today on the program where I, you know, I was sort of dismissive of social media, you know, a few years ago. And now when you have somebody like Pres um, President um, Miguel Diaz Canen saying, hey, we have to we have to win the, the social media war, you know, um, because there's a there's a media terror ter terrorism campaign against our country. You know, when I hear that, it does matter. And it go and it speaks back to, you know, what 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 Fidel would call the battle of ideas. We have to win the battle of ideas. So when this is, when this, now, now that this is happening and it's going to continue to happen, we need to double down and we need to be as forceful as, you know, those gusanos and, and, and those third way motherfuckers to, you know, to convince people and pre present the facts, present the evidence. Um, you know, cause as Carlito Rovira <laughs> said to me recently, that's, that's my, like my, like my older brother now at this point, um, you know, former young Lord, uh, or as he would say, always a young Lord, um, you know, truth belongs to no one, you know? Um, and so we, we, we can win this battle of ideas by, by making the case, you know, if, if you want to have a nuanced position, yes, this shit is very nuanced and it's, it is, it is, there, there, there's a lot of context that needs to be provided. Because people don't understand why Cuba has a revolutionary dictatorship. People don't understand that. People don't understand what that means. People don't understand that there is a lot of that that their democracy looks different. It's within a socialist framework. You know what Fidel said. You know said in the set in the seventies when he spoke to a group of intellectuals who were questioning, you know, why, you know, why why are they so radical in their position of, you know, got to be with the revolution, got to be with the revolution. And he said, look. Within the revolution, anything is possible. Against the revolution, nothing is possible. What he meant, what he meant by that is that look, the revolution has these core basic principles. How can anyone be against those core basic principles? These are these we will defend that. We're gonna defend that to the death. And as long as you're with us, we're gonna be fine. You know, and you it's okay to think differently, but you can't be 
You can't be introducing capitalist ideals into this country. You can't be introducing counter-revolutionary ide ideals into this country. We're not going to tolerate that. All right. Um, and so, you know, you that's if you're going to be nuanced, then explain to people what Cuba was like before 1959 and what and, and, and what the Cuban Revolution has been able to accomplish against all odds while being under attack since 1959. And the core principles, right? The, the the key core principles and the things that they've been able to accomplish, which no other country, like when you think about the fact that, that they're the safest country in the entire hemisphere, one of the safest countries in the entire world. You heard Miguel Diaz-Caner talk about it recently, say, hey, this is one of the attractions to Cuba, right? When we, we go, we, we're proud of that. We go and tell people you can come to Cuba as tourists and you don't have to worry about getting shot or stabbed. Like it's not gonna help or somebody, you know, kidnapping you. That doesn't happen in Cuba, you know. So it's it's a it's a safe what you know. I'm from the Dominican Republic. I tell people I tell people, if you're not from there, don't get cute. Like I this is someone who's who's the Dominican American. I tell if you're not from there, you know, stay in the resorts, don't venture out because shit could get real. In places like Mexico and Colombia and Honduras and, and all the all these other countries and Puerto Rico, which is a colony, you know, they haven't been able to accomplish what Cuba has been able to accomplish in terms of public safety. And that's just one of the, the, the key core principles, right? You know, there's education, there's the healthcare, there's the, the advances in science. I mean, it's just so if you're gonna be nuanced, <clears throat> then provide the historical context and yeah. defend it from that position. Yeah, you you know what? Like you covered everything. Um, it's <clears throat> a few things that I want to, you know, kind of bring up to to discuss even further um, because I think this is an important discussion to, you know, just continue down this road. Um, a few things. First and foremost, um, what really really does it for me is. The fact that there is no third road. There's an imaginary third road, but there's two waves that exist in our world today. There is socialist building and there is capitalist building. Right. If you are to see the issues that are facing people all across the United States right now, and then to turn your attention away from that and to point at Cuba and try to say that the government there needs to be changed, that the people there are tired of what's going on, that the people there have to face inequality and a lack of support. Did y'all not pay attention to the whole year, last year of complete social unrest all across the country? Uh, like, this is the thing is, when we have these conversations, if you're going to bring up one point, you better be bringing them up all, like all of them up, because right. you can't, if your nuance is coming from, well, sure, the Cuban, like I've heard people be like, the Cuban revolution was, you know, monumental, but then, you know, you have the, but then Che and Fidel turned into authoritarians, you have the, but then the revolution, you know, kind of dissipated over time, you have um, then the people didn't want socialism anymore because it didn't provide for them. There's all these different narratives, but you 
as a person who has only existed within a capitalist framework cannot, unless you spend incredible amounts of time dedicated to trying to understand, you cannot understand what the reality in Cuba is like in comparison to what exists here in the United States. One of the things you brought up, which is they don't understand what a revolutionary dictatorship is. They do not know that, you know, they don't know these theories of dictatorship of the proletariat, uh, you know, democratic centralism. They don't know all these different forms of democracy. (laughs) They've been fed a, you know, an incorrect, very, yet again, very rigid definition of what democracy is. And to most people, democracy means you can vote. Democracy means you can have an opinion. But I was discussing with a friend of mine at work today about how um, in a system such as ours, it can't work in a revolutionary place. You can't have 323 million people each having their own say in a revolutionary you know, socialist movement. You will not be able to do anything. And even on top of that, out of those 323 million people, especially here in the United States, how many of them do you think are coming to incorrect conclusions? Right. Because what people don't understand is having an opinion is not equal to being correct. Um, you know, you can say there's even folks, you know, the shit that white leftists will say, you know, you point out something to them and you say, you know, just look at the material conditions. And they go, oh, well, I'm analyzing from my material conditions perspective. And it's like, nobody gives a shit about your fucking privileged ass perspective. Like, <laughs> like nobody cares. Um, and so what you see most often is a complete and utter, even on the left, 180 when it comes to their principles because look at look at what americans say is most important to them freedom democracy and liberty all words that to us mean a million different things mean one thing mean nothing we have nobody can define them you know what i mean right. it's just ideals um but the cuban people can tell you what freedom is the cuban people can tell you what democracy is. They can show you what liberty is because under a system of popular power, wherein a revolutionary government turns to its masses and says, what can we do? What can we do to fix the situation? How can we all come together? Because ultimately that's what a revolutionary process is, is a coming together of popular forces, of individuals, of groups of people in order to each try to attempt to correct the issues that are previously, you know, a contradiction within the former society. Why else would anybody have a revolution um, if not to try to correct those issues? So when you have a revolutionary government such as this, they have you know, whether it's the quote unquote revolutionary government of the United States post the counter revolution of 1776, or it's the revolutionary government in Cuba, 
they have a set of goals. They have a set of what they conceive as incorrect or problematic things that they plan on changing. Now look at the difference between those two governments and what they implemented. At the time when the, um, you know, the US government came into power in the colonies as a separate nation, they were genociding the indigenous people, enslaving black folks, disallowing women from any kind of political, social, or economic freedom. Um, they were in the same way that they are now, sectioning off a majority of the wealth, the resources, the power for the privileged, you know, powerful uh, 1%, whatever you want to refer to them as, the ruling class, you had still then, all the way back then, the deep contradiction between rich and poor, powerful and powerless. And then let's, you know, look at what they create. Okay, they create a capitalist society based off of slavery, based off of land grabs from indigenous people, based off of exploitation of multiple different people groups, including the land, not only their own land, because it's not even their land in the first place, but then they go outside of our supposed borders, they eat up Mexico, they eat up the, you know, all the way to the West. They try to go North, but that doesn't work out too well. So then they leave the country and they go into what we now call the global South. Right. And, and that is what that revolutionary government did, because ultimately a bourgeois revolutionary government is still technically a revolutionary government and is ultimately to its core, like a proletariat revolutionary government working to try to combat issues that they feel are problematic. But if you think that that government in comparison to its counterpart, uh, the Cuban revolutionary government, if you think the US government is somehow or some way the correct one or the one that we ought to follow in comparison to a government that in one year sent out thousands of students into the rural areas, into the countryside to teach people to read and write, then help to industrialize and begin collectivizing things like, you know, farms, things like land, and then working as a popular movement based in the masses to start addressing not the problems that Fidel and Che had, not the problems that the Cuban ruling class had, not the problems that the very real and existing Cuban bourgeoisie had, but the problem of the people quote-unquote peasants, the actual individuals within that society who those positions, those people in those positions of power are supposed to be working for. But we know that's not the case here in the United States. So how do we exist under that reality and yet turn to the Cuban government and accuse it of doing exactly what our government is doing to us? That is the real, real... I don't know if you want to call it, you know, kind of contradiction, whatever, but that's a real problem. And talking about, you know, the, the war for ideas, the, the fight for social media, and, and you saw with the reaction to the supposed movement 
in, in, in Cuba, the supposed popular, you know, demonstration against the government, you saw how quickly Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all was SOS Cuba. And there's even screenshots of what looks like AI, like kind of not working right. I don't know if you've seen those screenshots of the very robotic like tweets that are like, hello, I am a citizen of the Cuban country and I am in opposition. (laughs) There is a real war for ideology and, you know, because that ideology isn't so much just out in the air in in the sense that it might have been before social media. It's actively being constructed. We're all taking part in constructing that ideology. And when there are folks on the left who are well aware of all these things and choose to go by undercutting or quote unquote critiquing the Cuban revolution, there's a few real uh, kind of consequences for that. A, you are yet another body piling on top of the Cuban people and suffocating them. And you are actively leading people who do not have that quote-unquote nuance away from actually learning about what an amazing success and what an amazing process the Cuban socialist um, you know, revolution has been since 1959. That's, that's more than 60 years, and that's something that is unprecedented, especially as you say, such a small defensive, defenseless island. It's it's genuinely incredible. So to take any side except for support is counter-revolutionary. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Fidel Castro is literally my anchor, like uh, little profile picture holding up his, you know, the guns post-revolution. It's he is. And people, you know, say, oh, the Cubans, he made them think he was a god. No, Fidel was actually able to deliver on his word, unlike any politician we will ever see in the United States. He, he guarded against the, the cult of personality. He did not like the pictures. He did not. In fact, if you go, to, you know, um, I, I don't know about now after his death, but during the time when he was uh, still in power, um, you know, he made sure that things weren't named after him. There aren't any buildings or anything like that named that. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Again, I don't know if after his death, you know, um, you know, I, I would presume that maybe they started naming certain streets or certain, you know, uh, but he, he he guarded against that. He didn't, you know, um, you know, and, and so some some folks who are cynical or whatever, you know, you're, you're going to laugh at this or, or say, yeah, whatever. But, you know, he he tried to be as humble as he could and called himself at one point. He's like, look, I'm, I get it. Like I am the leader of this country. I'm like more of a spiritual leader. I'm an activist. I'm a revolutionary. Um, but he, he tried to be as humble as possible. I remember, I remember the, a little quick anecdote. I remember they had on, you know, a channel, I don't know if it was channel 41 or channel 47, one of those capitalist uh, Spanish speaking news networks. Um, they had a young lady out there who um, on there who um, apparently dated, someone within the you know um within the family or something like that so she had access to you know she was she would she would routinely be around fidel castro and they tried to play the gotcha game with her every single time um and and she just kept saying look every i was around him a lot and he was always in his fatigues 
and he was always working. I know I, I get you. You're trying to get me to say something different. I'm, I'm telling you that the guy was like a monk. Like he just was always respectful. Um, he, he, he didn't indulge in, in certain, you know, you're looking for me to give you an answer that doesn't exist because it never happened, you know? Um, you know, and again, I'm not, look, you know, we have to be careful, right? Because look, we're, we're all walking contradictions, right? I mean, we, oh, we, yeah. you know, we, we always none have, of us are gods. None, none of us, us are, are gods. gods. You know, you look in the mirror every single day and and look, none, we've all made decisions that we, you know, we've all said things we didn't, we, we wish we could take back. We've all made questionable decisions. Um, Fidel Castro, by his own admission, would say that, you know, um, you know, let's just take the issue of um, a gay rights in Cuba. You know, Cuba in 1960 was, you know, extremely homophobic, extremely uh, against um, homosexuality. Um, remember that Fidel Castro and Che Guevara took over a country when they were in their early 30s. Um, and, and there was a lot of, you know, in, in, Latin, in Latin American culture, Latino culture is just very, you know, very macho and um, very homophobic. And so those are our own, you know, culturally our own internal contradictions and stuff like that. <coughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't want to make him into some sort of deity, but he, he has to be one of the, if, if not one of the most, the most consequential figure, you know, in the, in the, in the 20th century. Um, and, and, you know, you'd have to put him up there with, with some of the other, um, you know, folks, um, I guess that, you know, you want to put, you know, um, uh, you know, Lenin and Stalin and, and whatnot, um, you know, and some other folks there. But like, I mean, think about it. This this tiny island, you know, created <coughs> created a a socialist revolution, you know, under the, you know, um, right, right right under right right you know during the time of the <laughs> of, of this, you know, the, the, the cold war and, and going up against the, the, the most powerful empire man's ever created, you know, during a time where, again, the U S empire just thought that anything that happened in Latin America, you know, we were going to be able to control and we're going to be able to dominate. Um, and, and they just couldn't. And this guy's sending troops to Africa, you know, exporting revolution all over the place, you know, and, and created a, a socialist revolution based off of basic, you know, a certain core principles, revolutionary principles. I mean, the guy, yeah, he's, in, he, he's incredible. I mean, it's just a, you know, the, you know, they call him the, you know, some people call him the giant, El Gigante, you know, like he's just, the, the guy's just amazing. I, I, I would, yeah, I, I, I have the same feeling towards, towards Fidel. I mean, I just, I, I think he's a, a tremendous, tremendous historical figure. Um, and, you know, and I think, uh, you know, he, he gave the speech, you know, history will absolve me. You know, when we talk about 500 plus this 500 plus year war that we're in against settler colonialism, white supremacy, capitalism, imperialism, he's going to have to go down in history as, again, one of the the key figures to to fight against all of those things and win and be successful and show an, an example, you know, of what. It, it be an example of what we we all should strive towards, you know, um, as movements, as leaders, as just individuals. You know, I just yeah, I think I think the world of them. And one last thing I, I'd like to talk about a, a little bit just to kind of get your perspective. And I think it's an important uh, conversation is the fact that, you know, with Fidel's active attempts to 
make sure he was not seen as some, like you said, you know, a cult of personality type. Um, And all throughout multiple different revolutionary movements, you see this, you know, you don't want to call it praise, but you see this celebration of individuals. And we ultimately have to recognize a few things about the reality that we live in. A, most people feel powerless. They need examples of some sort of hope. We see this in many different forms. We see this in media. We see this in religion. We see this in drugs and alcohol. Uh, you know, we see this in revolutionaries. And it's ultimately because we were talking about ideology and ideas a bit, but Ideology is a fluid, progressing, and ever-changing thing. And when you have incredible revolutionary movements, like what happened in Cuba, it is not so much necessarily a, a gross praising and cult of personality like we have in its true form here in the United States. But it's almost a natural and organic, like I said, celebration of an individual, of symbols like the hammer and sickle that inspire hope in the people in order to guide them forward. I think when you look at what happened in Cuba, the world met Fidel Castro as he was waging a revolutionary struggle in Cuba. You know, there was documentaries, I think it was the BBC, right? Did an interview with him. Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. Um, and, and also on top of that, you brought up the history would, will absolve me speech. He was a revolutionary figure at that point for at least 10 years. Right. I mean... He had been a member of huge popular students' movements in his late teens, early 20s. <laughs> he had been a part of attempts to overthrow the Bautista regime and been a recognized leader of that. Um, he, he was someone who, as he said, history had created for a particular moment, not because he's some god or not because he embodies the revolution in any true form, but because he is someone who recognized his role and played his role. Another key example of that would be Che. You know, Che was someone who now you see him on t-shirts and fucking Spencer's, you see him on college campuses and shit like that. Che was an incredible person who many people don't know this, Che learned his Marxism from his uh, his wife, who was, uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, from Peru. Peru. Um, and, you know, he was a doctor. He, he, he learned his Marxism from his wife. And he saw himself clearly as a servant of the people. This is why he went to Bolivia. This is why he went all over 
Latin America in different, you know, solidarity campaigns. This is why he wrote books and wrote newsletters and spoke on, you know, different radio programs and went to uh, meet the nation and, and all these different. He was trying to show people that they can have hope, too. And, you know, there's so many examples where these individuals had to humble themselves. One of the biggest known, like you just talked about, was how they had to self-critique the ways in which they perpetuated homophobia and, and the ways in which they had to work to correct that, which they did. No politician today, unless they're getting on the woke train during that one month where we all wear rainbow shit, that's the only time that they're actually speaking out against homophobia but none of them are actually actively working to combat it. Che and Fidel did, as well did the whole revolutionary project in Cuba. But the point I'm trying to make is, I like to give an example to people who get a power complex about them, about how little these you know, revolutionaries were actually looking for power and why we shouldn't have our ego in this stuff. I think there's a, a pretty widely popular story where, uh, you know, Che obviously is known as is Fidel as soldiers, um, as, you know, guerrilla fighters, as warriors for the revolution. But Che was also a doctor. There were many moments during the active armed struggle in the Sierra, Sierra Maestra where Che had to stay behind in order to play doctor in order to serve his role and then later on he served his role as the uh i don't know if it was the president prime minister or whatever he was the economic advisor of the cuban government um he and fidel both served many roles and along that path they saw how the ideology of the Cuban people had to be influenced. And that's why the Cuban revolution and many national liberation and socialist revolutions are truly based in the masses. And going away from this conversation, the one thing I wanna hear from you is kind of, how do you feel that we here in the United States need to start correcting our inability to get with the masses and correct our inability to recognize the true ideological struggle and take the, the wrong side. How, how is it that you feel we here in the U.S. could start working on these things? Yeah, I think you, you sort of asked me a similar question on, on, on epi, you know, the first one, on episode one. Um, so, or the first part of the interview. Um, a couple weeks back, a couple couple things. So again, we have to be careful because we can't manufacture. Uh, yes, you know. Right, right. So we have to we have to acknowledge that that I think the material, the material conditions and the contradictions that exist within within this society will 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 certainly dictate, you know, um, you know what our movements look like. However, that being said, what what is lacking. Yeah, you know, I was. I'll, I'll reference Calito Rovira again because you know him and I talk um, uh, periodically. And and what is missing is there. There is no. You know, if there. So let's go back to the '60s, right? Like if you if if during that time, if something did trigger something 
to lead to revolution, you had a vanguard there. You had the Black Panther Party and you had the Young Lords. Okay, um, um, you know, along with you know a lot of other groups, but but you had you could you could make the argument that you had a revolutionary vanguard with a political ideology uh, deeply rooted in Marxism. Um, you don't have that today. You have um, yeah, you have a lot of now all these you know um, different folks online, and it's there's a there's an interest, and now and now you know you know, for whatever it's worth to call it the Bernie effect, you have the, um, you have a lot of folks who are now interested in socialism, which is great. That's awesome. Um, but we do lack leadership there. There's no, there's, there's a vacuum in leadership. There's no, there's not a Vanguard. Um, and again, I, I don't know if you can, you know, you have to be careful and, uh, with that, because I don't think you can manufacture, you, you're going to know when you see it, um, and this is where I do disagree with some folks, a lot of uh, that are on the left that talk about the vertical versus horizontal structure because they point to the yesteryear and said, well, <clears throat> every time we get a leader, <clears throat> that leader gets assassinated, so on and so forth. Um, I don't I don't subscribe to that. We need I believe in a vertical uh, structure. Um you know, versus a horizontal structure. I believe in leadership. You need leadership. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. <coughs> and once, and that, not, not to say that we should be waiting around, you know, I don't want that to be interpreted as, well, oh, we're just sitting around waiting for a Messiah. No, that's not, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, what I'm saying is that we have to, yes, educate ourselves, organize uh, folks um, and develop that leadership, right? We have to start um, working towards developing that leadership, um, and and someone, someone or a group of folks will eventually reveal themselves to us. Um, and again, that's not to say again, you know, not, I don't want to sound like some, you know, <laughs> like we're we're waiting around for for <clears throat> some prophet or something like that, <clears throat> or some messiah. That's not what I'm saying. We, but we do have to, <clears throat> excuse me, acknowledge that we we lack we lack leadership, and we need that. Um, um, you know, I, again, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say that I'm not sure if I answered your question, but <laughs> we, 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 we lack leadership. We need the con conditions to create uh, certain movements that will, I think, eventually provide us with some of the leadership, but we, yeah, we got it. We got it. We got to start developing, you know, new cadre and there, we, we do need a, we need, we need a better. <laughs> A revolutionary vanguard to take, especially to take advantage of when you know. And look, I, I don't think we we forget how resilient imperialism is. Um, if you talk to a lot of folks from from back, you know, from back in the days, uh, the elders, <clears throat> they're gonna say <clears throat> back then they thought they were gonna have revolution too. Um, and so that's not to say that again. That's not to discourage folks. Um, that's not again. Don't interpret that as that. What I'm saying is that this is a long, protracted struggle. Mm. And so we we have to play our part. And it may not even be in our lifetime, right? We have to we have to come to terms with that. That doesn't mean that we stop fighting. You know, uh, Fidel Castro says something along the lines is uh, you can't you can't have a cynical or pessimistic view of these things. You can't if you're a revolutionary, you fight. You know, you fight. You have to think that you're going to win. <clears throat> but we also have to know that this is a long 
protracted struggle. And so right now, <clears throat> we have to just keep chipping away. All of us collectively have to start doing what we have to do to develop that, that next generation of leaders. And it may happen in, in our lifetime if we're, if we're so lucky. Uh, for, for those of us who are romantic about this idea of revolution, I believe a lot of us are. Um, certainly you and I are. Um, but it may not happen in this lifetime. And we have to be prepared for that. We have to be okay with that. Knowing that, again, I have a daughter. Right. Um, you know, eventually, you, you know, I, I would presume that you and uh, um, others, you know, in the movement would want to have, you know, kids or have kids. And so we have to just continue to fight and try to develop that leadership and be just try to be prepared for for anything and everything. Yeah, if I may try to kind of, you know, sum up a lot of your great points and in, in some easy ways for folks to try to walk away with, I think. First and foremost, we have to be able to understand the importance of true material analysis, recognizing A, where we are, B, where we're headed, not in, in that sense, in, on the you know historical timeline, progression towards socialism, etc. And C, what being where we are, we can do to get to where we want to be going. Um, and one of the ways of doing that, the most important way, is having a, a direct line of knowing how to proceed. And that obviously kind of presupposes the existence of a vanguard. And for those people who don't like that word vanguard, A, I mean, I don't care. <laughs> but also like, you know, for folks who don't like that word vanguard, all that really should mean to anyone is a collective group of, you know, the individuals in the struggle with the most experience, with the most knowledge, with the most correct political analysis, and with the intention of building a revolution and a revolutionary movement to overthrow capitalism and build socialism, you have that, which is able to take advantage of moments. For example, if we had a true, you know, Marxist organized vanguard like the Black Panther Party or the Young Lords when all of the you know mass movements uh, of sorts took place last year you might have seen actual material change you might have seen some sort of revolutionary movement now like you say we shouldn't romanticize the movement because if you look at Cuba if you look at the USSR if you look at China if you look at Nicaragua, if you look at Mexico, if you look at all of these projects, you see successes, failures, retreats, offensives, defensives, you see everything because Correct. it is a fluid progression. And right. we are making stepping stones for those to come after us, for those who we are trying to guide on those stepping stones, because we are not prophets, nor are we waiting for prophets. Right. Communism is not some far off horizon. It is a necessity that people need today. But that does not mean that because people need it, it's coming just out of necessity. It has to be built. It has to be constructed. It has to be understood. It has to be taught. And ultimately, it has to succeed, which means it has to be done correctly. And that is the last point I really want to finish on is, you know, I've been talking a lot in a lot of my episodes about the need 
for Marxism, the need for correct political analysis, and the need for an ability to recognize when you're looking at the problems of, you know, the widespread inequality, which Americans do not have, and I use that word to talk about Yankees, you know, they don't fucking understand the reality that 3.3 billion people under the supposed poverty line have to realize every single day, which is the inequality that exists can mean death for you. That, that can mean you don't have a meal, you don't have a home, you don't have medication, you don't have a hospital, you're going to die. Simply because you were born poor in a capitalist world, you're going to die. Um, people don't see that inequality. In a world with incredible racism, incredible sexism, and oppressive measures on top of those, you know, it's one thing we know, you know, talking to liberals and other supposed leftists, we know what it is to be racist and not act on it. But these motherfuckers are racist and act on it. And that is a direct threat to people's lives. When we have situations like that, there are correct ways to solve that problem to, as you know, one might say, to spray at the base of that fire. And there are incorrect ways. There are only the two. And I should say there is a correct way, because if you are looking at situations truly analytically, you are looking at the cause of those situations, how those situations have manifested, what opportunities lie ahead of you to def you know, defeat those circumstances, and what the likelihood of that is and how to build it. That's how to analyze something like this. There is a correct way to do this, and there's a million incorrect ways to do it. So if we, in the next 40 years, which is, I believe, what you know, most scientists are saying we have um, until the Earth is, you know, honestly, as far as I can understand, truly as close to in, in uh, hub, I can't say the word, unable to support human life, um, is close to that, if not that true reality. We have about 40 years for that. So if that's the case, we don't have time to make mistakes. We don't have time to be sitting here and having conversations about Cuba and why we have to defend the revolution. But here we are. And this is why we need an actual, like you say, an actual type of leadership. This is why we need a vanguard. This is why we need Marxism. And this is why we need to be taking, each of us need to be taking the opportunities that lie in front of us, whatever few opportunities those are, and trying to do something with those. Because that is what builds a popular movement, is looking at the problems that exist, looking at the movements that are trying to correct them, and seeing how that can be pushed forward. Because that's ultimately where we have to start. We can't manifest the circumstances that we want to exist in order to build a revolution, we have to build a revolution. Right. Um, and I, I think that the ignorance surrounding that reality is truly one that we have to continue speaking out against and trying to correct here in the U.S. especially um, because it is very strong. No, it's well, well put, well said. Um, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with anything you, what you just said right there. Absolutely. 
Well, then, my friend, before I let you go, this has actually been a longer one. This was yeah, a great hour, conversation. Hour something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, before I let you go, my friend, is there anything you'd like to plug, anything you're working on you'd like to talk about to give folks to look into? Well, you know, obviously, you know, over at – I work over at Antico Quista, and we're we're always trying to make that, you know, that uh, – you know, our, our, our support and our base grow, um, you know, as we've said plenty of times, you know, on air, you know, the work that we do is a labor of love. Um, the money that people donate doesn't, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> doesn't go into our pockets. Um, we've donated over a hundred thousand dollars to different progressive and revolutionary causes and organizations in, in Latin America which considering how small of an organization we are, uh, I think it's nothing to sneeze at. I think that's, and that's really- real shit too. To anyone who questions that shit, I can confirm. And anyone who knows you folks, that shit's real. Like y'all have done that shit. Yeah. Um, we're about to do it again. Um, we're sending some money to Dominican Republic. Um, you know, I've, I, I've told the, the compañeros over Anticonquista that, um, joining them, you know, feels like home. I've, I've been, you know, part of other, you know, groups and whatnot and, and different, been a part of certain things. And, um, the, these guys, you know, the, these men that, uh, I'm working with, um, are, um, you know, men of, of, of a lot of integrity and, um, you know, we, we're, we're disciplined, we're focused, um, we're not perfect. We have contradictions, um, but I'm proud. I'm extremely proud of of the people I work with, uh, the compañeros that I'm that I'm um, working with, um, and the work that we do. Um, it's it's truly a labor of love. And while we aren't going to get everything correct, you know, we're we're not going to get everything right. Um, we're gonna we're gonna try, right? We're gonna try to. Um, always provide, you know, thoughtful revolutionary analysis. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we, we're, we're doing really good work over Anticonquista. And, and, and the, the reason why, you know, I'm, and so, you know, in terms of plugging this, um, why this is important, <clears throat> another, re- a, a major reason why this is important. So <clears throat> in the United States, we have about 60 million Latinos. Our target audience is the diaspora. <clears throat> and so, you know, one of the talks that we're having, one of the you know internal conversations that we're having is how do we how do we infiltrate these um, these public schools, um, even private schools for that matter, um, and these academic institutions at the collegiate level, um, because you know these 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 kids, these young Latino kids, um, they're going to go one of two ways. Um, very few, very very few of them will be true revolutionaries. Um, the more we can get on our side, the better. Many of them will are just going to plug right into the into the system, um, and some of them will promote this woke capitalism shit or become members of the Democratic Party, um, and and promote that woke capitalism, that woke imperialism shit. So, <clears throat> so this is really really important work um, that you know uh, for us to do. Um, and we, 
you know, you know, the, uh, you know, one, one, uh, just from another perspective is that, you know, I'll mention, I'll mention Jimmy Dore because it came up recently in a Facebook post and I mentioned it today at the, in our program, you know, somebody um, posted on Facebook saying, Hey, you know, so-and-so had, you know, J- Jimmy Dore had, you know, retweeted this or something like that. And it got me thinking, I said, you know, somebody like Jimmy Dore who um, has over 750 thousand followers now and every time he puts out a a piece on youtube you know he gets tens of thousands of views um he has a huge platform now um and i don't you know not that i follow his program that closely but you know how many times you see latinos on there specifically about issues that impact latinos or or things that are happening in latin america and with all due respect with all due respect because those boys do amazing work and um you know, over at the gray zone, he has the great, you know, the folks from the gray zone on there a lot. And look, I tip my half hat off to them because I, 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 you know, um, you know, you just got to respect them. I mean, they're, they put out really good work um, and they're doing excellent work and they're definitely, you know, they let definitely look like they're extremely sincere about the work that they do. So I don't, <clears throat> I don't question that. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful towards them. Um, but how about, you know, how about platforms like Jimmy Dore having Latinos on, you know, even alongside, you know, um, you know, folks like, the you know, you know, Ben and, and Max from from the gray zone, um, you know. And so, you know, we look at that. Right. We look at those things, you know, when other white folks on the quote unquote left are covering issues that impact us and don't even have people like us specifically like us at anti-conquista um to talk about these some of these issues um you know without question it makes us feel a certain type of way right because here we are a little anti-conquista plugging away we don't we don't have that and you know you know look i don't i don't think jimmy Doe even knows who the fuck we are um which is fine um but you know you're you're seeing you, you see a lot of this stuff on the on the left and the white left um, with folks who have a lot of, a lot of power in their, you know, within their own right. And, um, you know, you know, you don't, you know, even if it wasn't us and maybe if, if they had somebody like us, let's just say, you know, on their platform, you know, it's, it's bad enough that we can't get it from the corporate press, right. The corporate capitalist press, you know, those folks forget it. You know, and if they do have one of quote unquote us again, it's from a very, uh, <clears throat> you know, they're never going to have somebody like us on their on their uh, on MSNBC or Fox News. I mean, I, I doubt that, but it's bad enough that that happens on that level. You know, when you're seeing it on the on the so-called left, um, you know, yeah, it definitely makes us feel a certain type of way. So, so the, I say all that to say, please support the work that we do, right? Because hell yeah, you know, like you know, we're we're. You know we're putting in work, fucking putting. We're in putting work. in the work. We're Latinos, you know, in the diaspora, and 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 we're not just you know talking the talk. Like we're you know the the money the money that we're that we're sending to Latin America. And some people may, if you want to be critical of that, I mean, come on, man. I mean, and I, I always mention this. You know what what the Fidel Castro do? The first thing that he did when when he received amnesty, he went to the United States. On a tour, on a fundraising tour, because his revolution needed fucking money. Um, so don't don't dismiss that, you know. 
um, don't dismiss, you know, th- that uh, right there. So yeah, I- I'll, I'll, I'll stop, you know, there. And, but you know, again, I'll, I'll just, I'll just finish off by saying, yeah, please support the work that we do at Anticonquista. We're a collective um, that I believe provides really good revolutionary analysis. And, and, and we, we hope we can continue to get support from, from the community, from all communities. But knowing that, again, we, we're third worldists, we're Latino, um, and, and we're primarily first and foremost concerned with our people. And we hope, we hope people respect that. Well, and not for nothing, my friend, if, uh, if they can't, they can go ahead and get fucked because that's, a, you know, not to use this word incorrectly, but that is a righteous path to be on um, because folks all over the world need to recognize that it will be oppressed people leading the struggle to end oppression. Um, that's just how these things work. So. Yeah, my friend, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for, you know, giving such great insight to, you know, the struggle in Cuba and, you know, the all, overall struggle of, of socialism and, you know, the current situation we're in. Um, I hope to be able to do many more episodes with yourself and others um, in order to, as you said, like really put the perspective of folks who are going through these things, but also who are not just, you know, because, you know, it's always, well, my, my grandparents or my, my uncle who went through these things, will they know? Yeah, well, your uncle also owns, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, you, it's, it's great because you folks are putting in the work and putting in the work in a correct manner. And that is important to give a voice to. So I hope to be able to continue being a platform for something like that. So thank you so much again for coming on and hope to see you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, brother. Take it easy, my friend. Take it easy.